Thank you, Jay. Worship team, that was awesome. Today is Palm Sunday, a day when we remember the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, and as followers of Jesus in 2016, do we fully understand the significance of this event? Has it become for us just a day to watch children wave palm branches and sing Hosanna? Have 2,000 years of church tradition diminished our enthusiasm for this day? So I thought I'd, we'd take a look this morning, a fresh look at this event, and see if we can re-energize some of that enthusiasm. And as you can see in your notes, the event is recorded in all four of the Gospels. And so if all four gospel writers felt that it was significant enough to include it, then maybe it holds a great deal of significance for us today. So we're going to read Mark's account of the event. It's found in the 11th chapter of Mark. But before we do, I want to pray and ask God to guide our time. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you. Thank you for this uh, event where you proclaim that you are the true king. Lord, speak what is true this morning. Open our ears so that we can hear from you this morning. Re-energize our lost enthusiasm. Fill us with joy, Lord as we worship and praise our King. Guide our time this morning, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So Mark chapter 11, starting in the first verse. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here to me. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this, tell them the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. When they went, they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered just as Jesus had told them to, and people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. 
And he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now that we have a basic understanding of what was going, what was taking place, I want to fill in some of the blanks from the other Gospels. We won't be turning to all of them, but from John's Gospel, uh, we're told that Jesus came to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in Bethany, uh, six days before the Passover. And he went there because there was a dinner given in honor, in, in his honor, uh, no doubt to thank him for raising Lazarus from the dead. And they says, John tells us that the next day, so after that dinner, the next day he left for Jerusalem. And the villages of Bethany and Bethpage are on the east side of the Mount of Olives, uh, about a mile and a half from the city of Jerusalem, on the road that leads from Jericho to Jerusalem. And there's a map, I'll give you a little, I think we have a map. There it is. Uh, so you can see there's a red line there. Bethany would be the furthest village away. And then as they traveled up the east, eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, they would have come to Bethpage and then down the western slope of, Mount, of the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem. So that's kind of where they're at. And um, a large crowd showed up while Jesus was at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home. And they traveled with Jesus to Jerusalem. And John also mentions that a large crowd came from Jerusalem when they heard that Jesus was on his way. And these two groups are going to converge on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus gives a command to two of his disciples to go into the village ahead of him. This would have been Bethpage. And there they're going to find a donkey's colt tied up. And they're going to bring that to Jesus. And it's almost as if Jesus anticipated their question. Because he says, if anybody asks you what you're doing, just tell them the Lord needs it. And I was trying to put myself in these disciples' shoes and asking myself, what would I be thinking if I were one of them? And what were they thinking as they walked? As they left Jesus and started, in, started toward Beth, Beth Page, were they apprehensive? Were they a little bit nervous? And then I started to chuckle because if you just read it, it almost sounds like Jesus is asking them to steal this donkey. But I know Jesus wouldn't ask them to do that. But I wondered, do they think that? Is Jesus asking us to steal this donkey? No, no, no. He said, he said we'll, we'll bring it back. Oh, okay, all right. And so they go in the, t in the town, they find the donkey, and they unti untie it, and what happens? The owners, what are you doing? Uh, 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 Jesus needs it. Oh, okay. We're not told who the owners are. Maybe they knew Jesus. Jesus didn't have the luxury of pulling out his cell phone and tapping out a quick text to the owners to say, hey, I need your donkey, I'm coming into town, I think I could borrow it. Um, he didn't have that luxury. Maybe, maybe they knew him. Jesus had definitely been through Bethpage a number of times. 
Maybe they knew of him, knew him. Maybe they were followers of him. We're not told. But they let, them, let the disciples have the donkey. And they bring it to Jesus, and he sits on it. Something else stands out to me is that these disciples, they obey. They obey Jesus even if they may have had questions. Which makes me wonder about how we respond when we're asked to do something for Jesus. Maybe you're feeling led by the Spirit to reach out to someone. And you're nervous. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. And you're nervous. You feel inadequate. You have questions. Maybe you don't know how to respond to their questions. How are you going to respond to Jesus? Easter is next Sunday. And like Jay pointed out this morning, we have these invitations. Maybe Jesus is asking you to walk across the street. Hang one of these on your neighbor's door. Give one of these to a coworker. How will you respond? Last year we had something similar. And I felt Jesus asking me to reach out to my neighbors. And I had our community group pray for me because I was nervous. I didn't know how they would respond to me, but I did it. I went and I invited my neighbors. And I'm going to do it again this year. I don't know if any one of them will show up. They didn't last year. But it's not my job to make them show up. It's my job to invite them. Whatever it is that God is asking you to do, whether it's big, whether it's small, how will you respond? You may have questions. You may not fully understand what Jesus is up to. Are you going to trust that he knows what he's doing? And sometimes the fear we feel gets turned into exhilaration when we obey God and we have a God moment. As I'm sure these disciples did when they came into Bethpage and saw that donkey tied there. Okay, so they get the donkey, they bring it to Jesus, he gets on it, and he starts making his way to Jerusalem. Matthew, in his account, he adds that this was to fulfill prophecy. Matthew uses this event as evidence to convince his Jewish readers that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. And his readers would have been very familiar with this prophecy that comes from Zechariah 9.9. And Jay read it, and I'd like to read it again. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The act of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt was a proclamation that he was the true king of Israel. Now just a side note, there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about
about the Messiah. 60 of those prophecies are what the scholars call major prophecies. His place of birth, his time of birth, his resurrection, his death, his burial. Um, The odds of one person fulfilling just eight of those 60 is one in 10 to the 17th power. Now that's a one with 17 zeros behind it. Or 100 quadrillion. Now just to give you a picture of that number, this is a silver dollar. If you had 100 quadrillion silver dollars, I want to be your friend. (laughs) But seriously, if you had that many silver dollars, you could cover the state of Texas to a depth of two feet. Now let's say you painted one silver dollar red and you asked blind person to start in the city of Dallas and walk in any direction they choose and on their very first try pick up that red silver dollar. That would be one in 100 quadrillion. But Jesus didn't just fulfill eight prophecies. He didn't just fulfill 60. He fulfilled all 300 and some. You see, we serve an awesome God. Well, let's take a, a little look at this prophecy. It says, The king is righteous and having salvation, or he's bringing salvation. This is a different kind of king. Oh, he's, gentle, he's gentle and he's humble. So this is a different kind of king that they're, than they're used to. The kings they were used to couldn't be really described as righteous. If you take a quick look through the Old Testament at the kings that ruled Israel, you'll see that a lot of them, this description after it, that after their names, that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And none of them really brought salvation. They could save them from a few of their enemies, but they couldn't save them from all of them. And none of them brought lasting salvation. And only a few could be considered humble. But Jesus is all of these things. He is the true king of Israel. All right, so we got Jesus on a donkey making his way down the mountain. And the crowds, they spread their cloaks on, over the donkeys, they spread their cloaks on the road, they take branches and they lay them down. And this was an ancient practice uh, to, of, that people did to welcome a new king. And so the people in the crowds would have caught on to what was happening. And the excitement would be building. And as they see the symbolism of what Jesus is doing, they're getting more and more excited. And the, their hopes are being answered. The king, the Messiah that they've been waiting for. They've been waiting for this guy for a long time, and he's coming now. And so the crowds of people coming with Jesus and the crowd of people coming from Jerusalem converge on the Mount of Olives. And this creates a level of excitement among the people that would have been just out, just crazy. Remember, this is happening around the time of Passover. And so the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding villages would have been bursting at the scenes with, with pilgrims. 
Uh, one scholar says you can get an approximate number by looking at history and finding out that about 250,000 lambs were slain on a, in one Passover season. And if you take an average of 10 people per lamb, you get 2.5 million people in and around the city. So these two crowds could have had thousands of people in them. And Jesus is making their way, his way to the city, down the Mount of Olives. He can see the city across the valley. And the people start to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of our kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest! And you can imagine the noise from this crowd been to a Vikings game or any other professional football games, and you're in that stadium, the noise when people are cheering is, is deafening. Luke tells us that there were some Pharisees in the crowds, and they understand what's going on. They can see what the crowd is doing. And they ask Jesus, or they tell Jesus, Tell the crowd to be quiet. They don't want him as their king. They want to kill him. But, he's, but he responds, if they be quiet, the rocks will cry out. He's not going to stop them. Jesus knows that it's the time to let the world know that he is the true king of Israel. Well, what does this word Hosanna mean? The men who wrote the New Testament took Greek letters and made a word that sounded like a Hebrew phrase. And the men who translated the Greek into English did much the same thing. So our English word Hosanna comes from a Greek word, Hosanna, which comes from a Hebrew phrase, Hoshiana. See how they kind of sound familiar? Hosanna, Hoshiana. And that Hebrew phrase is found in one place in the whole Old Testament. Psalm 118, verse 25, where it means save please or save now. It's a cry to God for help. Like when somebody pushes you into a pool and you don't know how to swim. And so you come up shouting, help, save me. That's Hoshiana. But something happened to that phrase. The meaning changed over the years, as the meaning of some of our words change over the years. In the psalm, it was immediately followed by an exclamation, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The cry for help Hoshiana was answered almost before it came out of the psalmist's mouth. And over the centuries, Hoshiana stopped being a cry for help, and instead it became a shout of hope. It used to mean, save me, but it gradually became to mean salvation. Salvation has come. It used to be what you would say when you got pushed, when you were drowning and needed help. But it turned into what you would say 
when you saw the lifeguard coming to save you. It's that bubbling over of hope and joy in your heart that you can see salvation coming and you just can't keep in your excitement. So Hosanna means hooray for salvation. It's here. It's coming. And Hosanna to the son of David means the son of David is our salvation. Hooray for the king. Salvation belongs to the king. And Hosanna in the highest means let all the angels in the highest heaven join the song of praise. Salvation, salvation, let the highest heaven sing it. And so Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives. The crowd gets caught up in this experience, and they realize that Jesus is making this public declaration that he is Israel's king, and they joyfully shout, Hosanna! Salvation is here! There was enthusiasm, there was excitement, there was anticipation. What is Jesus going to do? They were expecting him to usher in a new kingdom. And in the midst of all this, something interesting happens. Luke tells us that as Jesus approached the city, he wept. He wept over it. The crowd is joyfully shouting and singing, Hosanna! And Jesus is crying. I think Jesus knew that there were some in the crowd who would later reject him. In just five days, the unbelief of the people causes Jesus deep sorrow. Today, they're joyfully shouting, Hosanna. In five days, They'll be shouting, crucify him. When Jesus doesn't do what they expected the king to do, they turn on him. It's similar today to how fans react to a coach that, who's not leading their team to victory. We've seen it. The team is winning and the coach is a hero. But the team starts losing. The coach can't turn it around. And the fans soon begin to cry, get rid of him, get a new coach, get a new one. Jesus loves the people. And it's because of that love, when he sees their unbelief, he's filled with sorrow. Jesus loves us. And so I wonder if our unbelief causes him that same sorrow. I think all of us wrestle at time with unbelief. We know that Jesus loves us, but sometimes we can't wrap our minds around that kind of love. Maybe he's asking you to trust him with something. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's your finances. Whatever it is, I wonder if he's sad when we don't trust him. I wonder if he's sad when our heart is not in our worship and we're just going through the motions. Luke goes on to tell us that Jesus said, If you, even you, had only known on this day 
what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. What the people fail to realize is that Jesus is the source of true peace. He is the Messiah. He is bringing salvation. He is ushering in a new kingdom. Just not the kind they expected. Everyone wants to know that they're loved. And that they have value. Everyone wants to have something they can hold on to when their world is falling apart. Everyone longs for lasting peace. And when it seems that life is out of control, we want something that's secure and unmovable. Jesus is that something. And the peace that he brings is a lasting peace. But I believe that our unbelief will keep us from seeing it. It did for the people in Jerusalem. They didn't recognize Jesus as the source of peace, and so they rejected him. Don't make their mistake. Well, I'd like to close with these thoughts. If you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior, don't let today go by without taking that step of faith. I'll be up front after the service. I'm sure some of the elders will be as well. And we'd love to talk to you about that. Don't walk out those doors without taking that step of faith. Maybe you feel Jesus is asking you to do something. Maybe he's asking you to walk across the street. Whatever it is, big or small, take that step of faith and do it. Maybe there's an area of your life that seems out of control. Trust him with that. Step out in faith and allow Jesus to do a mighty work in you. To bring you lasting peace. And if you're a child of God, then rejoice. Your king is coming. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Say it with me. Hosanna. Hosanna. You can do better than that. Hosanna. Let's pray. Awesome, awesome Lord Jesus. You are our king. You are a mighty, mighty king. And you are bringing salvation. And you are bringing peace and hope. And Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would make that decision. Lord, if there's someone here that needs to trust you in something, I pray that they would step out in faith and hold on to your hand. You'll never let us go, Lord Jesus. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.